And um, I started my talk, as, you know, how do you start a talk sometimes? It kind of, and I, thought, I started Googling the question, which is quite a, a sad question, but it's an um, important one. How many people in the UK suffer from poor mental health? And um, it's actually quite hard to find a quantifiable number. Um, there's lots of different stats, but the one that kind of stuck out was this one. One in six people, I'm looking at Ellie because she'll tell me if I'm right, one in six people have a probable mental health disorder. Does that sound about right? Yeah, roughly speaking. One in six. And actually, if you look at children, it's one in five children. And um, so that's somewhere between 15 to 20% of the population of the UK have a probable mental health condition. And of course, that's just the ones we know about. That's the ones that come forward and fill in surveys and see the GP. You know, it's in some ways no surprise um, that this is the case. And, and there's many reasons, isn't there? There's, you know, the cost of living. Um, there's just the helter-skelter of life and work. You know, there were actually people really concerned, obviously, for the climate crisis. Actually, a lot of young people are really concerned about the state of our climate. You know, we have the threat, the wars and the threat of wars. Um, legacy of COVID. I mean, for young people, um, the, the kind of legacy of COVID is massive. For their engagement with school, their ability to be able to cope in that environment, it's massive. We should be praying for our young people. You know, one in five children, you know, are actually what they would class as persistent absentees. Are they not? They're less than, um, I think it's, I can't remember what the stat is, 90%, I think it is, attendance. They're missing half a day a week of school. We should be praying for our young people. But, you know, lots of generic reasons why there is a, a chronic sort of anxiety and mental health crisis in our society. And then, of course, you have the more specific events, you know, grief, pain, trauma that people face that feed into personal levels of poor mental health. And um, you can see why it's a challenge. It's a challenge in our society to stay healthy mentally. And, you know, um, some of you know the story. I'm not going to go into it because um, it's not my story to tell always. But Nicola and I have had some really challenging years. It's been really, really tricky, you know, and um, that's some personal stuff that's been hard, um, as well as all of the other things and that's going on in the world and leading a church through um, a pandemic and then out of a pandemic and, and all that's come with that. It's been really difficult. And it's been hard sometimes to stay mentally healthy. It's been a battle. And, you know, one of the things that has helped me has been the scriptures. And not necessarily Psalm 23 in of itself, because Psalm 23 actually encapsulates the teachings of God about how we stay mentally healthy. But actually, the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of the scriptures, if we apply them to our life, can give us frameworks to try and stay mentally healthy, even in very difficult circumstances. I do want to caveat that, though, before I launch into Psalm 23. There are some events, some circumstances that happen to people that are out of their control. Things that are done to them or circumstances that they find themselves in 
that, that almost transcend the generic stuff of stresses and strains that we all face. And, um, and in those moments, people need additional support. You know, and so we, as a, in the vineyard, would encourage people to get counselling, would encourage people to see a therapist, would encourage people to go and see their GP and get the support they need around their mental health. You know, we believe God moves powerfully through healing in a, in a kind of supernatural way. But we also believe he uses GPs and counsellors and therapists and the medical profession to help. And so it's both and. And if you listen to this talk, and I am going to give some, some bits from Psalm 23, and you think, well, that's great, but you don't know my story. You're right, I probably don't. Or if I do, I might not know all of it. So this is not meant to be a kind of, if you do this, everything will be great sort of talk. This is about things that can help us keep healthy. But some of us need a little bit more support and input to get healthy. Um, so that's my caveat to say before I launch in. So, Psalm 23, verses 1 to 3. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. So this series on Psalm 23, we're calling Overflow. Because actually, when you read Psalm 23, if we apply the teachings in, from that psalm to our lives, it's not just about staying healthy, it's about actually creating a life that overflows, that has abundance. But we need to start at the beginning. Uh, and it's such an incredible psalm because it starts with this statement. The Lord is my shepherd. You know, King David knew what he was doing. He, this psalm is attributed to him. When he wrote it, he started with the most important statement. The Lord is my shepherd. Is the Lord our shepherd? I suppose it's fundamentally the question of today's talk. Is the Lord our shepherd? You know, and the image of a shepherd is profound and powerful. You know, when this psalm was written, you know, a good shepherd showed great concern for his sheep. He provided there for them in terms of their nourishment and their rest. He guided them. He led them. He was intimately involved with the flock and concerned for the safety of each individual. You know, we hear, you probably know the story of Jesus left the 99 to go after the one. He knew all of them by name. You know, he, the shepherd would know all of his sheep, probably by name. I was brought up on a, on a farm. My dad was a, a dairy farmer for a little while. And, and, um, and so, you know, we probably called the cows names. We knew them. My dad knew the different cattle that he owned. And Jesus knows each of us by name because he is our good shepherd. The shepherd loved his sheep. The shepherd loves the sheep. Provides for them, nourishes them, gives them rest, guides them, leads them, is involved in every part of their life. You know, at the start of this series, Overflow, we have to take hold of this truth. Jesus is the good shepherd. And he wants all of these things for our lives. He wants to do those things for us. He, we are the sheep and he is the shepherd. 
And one of the challenges for Christians in the 21st century is that on the surface, we do not need Jesus. I know it's a strange thing for a pastor of a church to say, but we don't. You know, we live in a wealthy country. We might not feel it in a cost of living crisis, but comparable to most countries, we live in a wealthy country. We have free medical care. You don't have to come to church and get prayer for healing, although it's a good thing to do. You can go and see your GP and get referred to a consultant. We have social services, social care. Might not be perfect, it's super stretched, but it's there as a safety net for so many people. And so we have this incredible country we live in and we should be very grateful for where we live. It's, it's a gift of God in a way that we live here. But that abundance, that wider society means that we can often not realize how much we need Jesus to be our good shepherd. So we sometimes treat our life like a grapefruit. So um, this is a grapefruit. It's got lots of segments. Um, the only way you can eat grapefruit is by pouring lots of sugar on. Um, that's just my top tip for eating grapefruit. Um, so, um, but grapefruits have segments. And we can so easily put our lives into segments. You know, we can have the segment of faith. We're here today. Worshiping Jesus, how great is our God? Listen to this talk, praying for each other. We then might on Monday have our segment of work or whatever life is. That could be unpaid work or it could be paid work. You know, we could have that. We might have our career segment. We might have our family segment. You know, we might have our self-care personal time segment. Um, you get the idea. You know, each one of those we could probably superimpose over the top of it an aspect of our life. And in the 21st century, in where we live in the UK, it's so easy to say we have our faith segment and every, all the other segments we kind of look after ourselves. You know, we just take control over those segments ourselves. But I once heard um, a guy called John Mumford say, but our life should be like a milkshake. So I think I've got a milkshake. There you go. The milkshake. And the thing with a milkshake is you stick it in your blender and you mix it all together and, and all the segments just become one. And the point of that is Jesus needs to be in every element of our life. He needs to be Lord of everything, not just the segments we give him. And um, there's a guy called um, John Stott who wrote a fantastic book called Radical, The Radical Disciple. If you haven't read it, I'd encourage you to read it. We're actually creating some resources around it over the next few months, so we'll share those in a bit. But um, this is what he says. Our common way of avoiding radical discipleship is to be selective, choosing those areas in which commitment suits us and staying away from those areas in which it will be costly. But because Jesus is Lord, we have no right to pick and choose the areas in which we submit to his authority. You know, this is such a good statement. But I would add to it, we only get the full benefit of our salvation and the abundant life Jesus promises if we lose the grapefruit and embrace the milkshake. If we stop being selective about which segments of our life we submit to Jesus and submit them all. 
So it poses the question, what stops us? What stops us? What stops us trusting Jesus with every segment of our life, our time, our energy, our money, our family, career, health? What stops us? And I think the answer is in the second part of the first verse. Fear of lack. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. King David understood one of the most important truths about our relationship with Jesus, with the Lord. If we trust him, if we let him be the good shepherd in our life, then we will lack nothing. But let me unpack this idea of lack through the lens of 21st century culture. For the majority of people in the UK, the idea of lack could be defined as having to wait for the new iPhone. Okay, a bit facetious maybe on my part, but you know what I mean. We live in an instant culture and our expectations are that we will get the new, the bigger and the better straight away. This shapes our view of lack. You know, lack is having to wait, having to limit ourselves to one cost or a week, or or some weeks even none. But for a sheep, they have a different understanding of lack. It's much more simple. You see, for a sheep, if they have shelter, if they have food, if they have water, if they can live and stay healthy, then they live in abundance. Sheep have a simple life, and um, I don't know. I've not seen many sheep struggling with anxiety. I don't know. I find it hard to kind of interpret sheep's facial expressions, but, um, but that possibly is true. When King David wrote about tackling, or lacking nothing, sorry, he was thinking like a sheep. He was thinking of the simple life not the drive for more and better. The Ten Commandments include, thou shall not covet. In other words, be content with what you have and don't desire things that don't belong to you. We are also warned about greed. Storing up riches on earth that only get destroyed this side of heaven. No, lacking nothing is the opposite of coveting and greed. No matter what um, prosperity gospel might teach us, lacking nothing is an understanding that our basic needs, that all we need to live and to, to flourish, will be met by Jesus. They will be met by Jesus if we surrender it all to him. If we surrender it all to him. Paul wrote this in Philippians 4, the message. Actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned by now to be quite content, whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with as little as with much, with much as with little. I found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one, that's Jesus, who makes me who I am. How amazing is that truth? The Lord is my shepherd, 
I lack nothing. You know, why do we give of our first fruits? Well, it's in large part to demonstrate that we trust Jesus. It's not that he needs our resources. I mean, goodness, he made everything. He can, with a word, make everything again. It's about submission. It's about trust. It's about recognizing that he is the shepherd and we are the sheep. And that we say, look, we're placing this before you because we trust that even if we're worried we might not have what we need or might not have what we want, we know that the best way in life is to submit it all to you. And of course, God is a generous God. And he very rarely just leaves us with our basic needs. He so often pours out abundance and above and beyond what we could ask or imagine. But that's his choice. But we know he always gives us what we need. And this is such an important truth. And, and David's so wise to start with it, you know, inspired obviously by the Holy Spirit. You see, if we don't get this, if we chase after more and better, if we hold back our first roots because we fear lack, then we also take on the stress, the anxiety, the responsibility for providing for ourselves and, and for our families. We take it upon ourselves. If you like, we try to be the shepherd, but we're actually just a sheep. We try to be the shepherd, but we're actually just a sheep. When we take control of segments of our life, we take away the ability to embrace all of the promises of Psalm 23. You know, when we take control of large chunks of our life, we never feel able to truly rest because we are chasing the new and the better. We are feeling the pressure to look after ourselves and our families. We basically feel the pressure of life. If as Christians, we can struggle with this, is there any wonder why the wider society as a whole is in the midst of a mental health crisis? As I said, with a caveat of those other things that I mentioned at the start. So let's imagine we surrender every part of our life to Jesus and live as Jesus intended, not lacking anything and trusting him for all the essentials we need. What difference will that make? Well, let me share three practices from Psalm 23 that when applied to our life can help us step closer to the promise overflow and also stay a little bit more mentally healthy. So firstly, we need to surrender to Jesus, but the first practice is we can and must stop. He makes me lie down in green pastures. For those of you that know me, and uh, we've had a lot of new people, so you may not know me that well, but for those of you who've been around a while, I'm a bit of an activist, so I see a problem and I want to solve it, I want to do something about it, um, I'm always thinking into the future, and, and actually, my brain's always kind of worrying in, in a way, you know, just trying to think, how can we make things better for people, how can we do things differently, how can we reach more people? I'm an activist, but I'm also an introvert. Um, and one trick I've learned 
over the years of being a pastor and having a busy life, is being able to stop in a crowd. On a Sunday morning, just like this, I will sometimes take myself away from the crowd for a few minutes. Maybe just two or three. I just take a moment to take a breath and to calm my mind and to center myself again. Some weeks I do this on a number of occasions and maybe for a little bit longer. Other weeks, it's maybe not needed at all. It depends on what the previous week has had in my life to how much I need that space to be able to center myself. You see, I give myself permission to not be all things to all people all of the time. And I think in the past some people are disappointed with me because maybe I've not lived up to their expectations. But Jesus has given me permission to stop and to lie down in green pastures, even if it's only for a few minutes. And he gives you the same permission. And this is such an important practice for us all, not just a church leader. See, life is busy. It's really, really busy. And sometimes we just need to come up for air to take a breath, to recognize the world still turns even if I stop for a few minutes, to center my soul and my life once more. I never really thought about it, to be honest, until I was teaching last term. And um, because I've always done it this way, it's all, it's all, even when I was a kid, I'd take myself off for a few minutes and just recharge the batteries. Um, but I was in the science department staff room and this teacher, kind of properly stressed out, had a really manic life, some challenging things going on. And um, she said to me, why are you so calm all of the time? I was like, I wish that was true, is <laughs> my first thought. You've not seen me when I'm not calm. Um, but it made me think, my life did contrast so many in that department. And yes, it's primarily because Jesus is my shepherd. That's the most important reason. He's the center of my life, the foundation of everything. But it's also because I taught myself to stop in the crowd and pause in the craziness of life. We have to learn to recognize the signs in our minds and our bodies and respond accordingly. For me, I recognize that when I feel a little overwhelmed or feel a little anxiety building up, I know I need to step out for a few minutes that I need to take a breath, both naturally, it's always good, you know, to take a deep breath and calm ourselves, but also spiritually, inviting the Holy Spirit to come and refresh me. And the key is giving permission and to taking the opportunities when they arise. I can't step out of my classroom and say, right, kids, I'm disappearing for three minutes, four minutes, I need to take a breath. I can't do that, but at lunchtime I can. I don't have to surround myself with busy. I can take three or four minutes just to center my life. And, and we need to take the opportunities. We need to build that rhythm into our life if we're going to stay healthy. If you like, we have a reservoir in our lives of, of rest and peace and his presence. And these few minutes for me is like I just top it up. I top up my rest. I lay down for a few minutes in green pastures. I just let the Lord just help me to center and to be refreshed. 
But sometimes, well, often, we need a little bit more than just a few minutes. You know, we need a Sabbath. We need to take a day. And so my second practice, I want to encourage you, that I'm not so good at, (laughs) is actually taking a day. Or if life is in such a way that we can't take a full day, taking parts of day that adds up to a day so that we can not just have a little top-up, but lie in the green pastures and let the rains restore our whole reservoir. You know, just think about that as a picture. You know, when we lie in green pastures, you know, they're green, they're lush because there's rain. And so when we lie down and we feel dry, when we feel empty, when we have that Sabbath, when we have those times with the Lord, the rain comes of the Spirit and it restores our reservoir. I've never been so good at the Sabbath. You know, I'm not taking that regular rhythm of a day, but I do try and find chunks of time, if it can't be a whole day, to refresh and be restored. We need to learn to do that. I, um, there are lots of books about soul care out there. You know, this um, Christian spirit, you know, spiritual formation and all of these things. And they have some amazing stuff. And um, I think one of the things when we think about these, these topics of rest and, and just filling up our reservoir is that these books can often be quite utopian view of life. You know, if we had all the time in the world and all no stresses and strains, no kids, no, no nothing, no elderly parents who need support or looking after. You know, if we took away all of those things, then actually, yeah, we can fill all of these practices in. Sometimes I think, though, that they set us up to be really difficult and make us feel bad. And I suppose what I want to say to us today is, if we can practice stopping, if we can practice resting, even for a few minutes, and actually try and build in that, that Sabbath, actually that's going to make a massive difference to our lives. See, because Paul writes this, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. You see, life is busy. It's stressful. We can't always avoid it. We can't always take ourselves away from it. It just is what it is. And if that's true for Paul, who's one of the main writers of the New Testament, in his life, it's probably going to be true for ours in seasons. And we need to own that. And we need to prepare for it. And so, therefore, we need to build those rhythms of rest in the moment and in the Sabbath. We might not be able to do all of the other things that these books tell us to do, but if we can do that, we might well stay, stand firm under the pressure. Okay, so, we need to rest in the moment, firstly. We need to create space for a Sabbath. We need to recognize life is manic and busy and sometimes stressful and we're in good company, even the right of the New Testament. But I think there's one thing we can take also from the first three verses of Psalm 23 that I think is absolutely crucial. 
and that is, he leads me by me beside still quiet waters. We must eliminate hurry from our life. I think this is massive. I think when I speak to so many people, they're just so busy, but actually they're hurried. Their lives are hurried, are rushed. There's a fantastic book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Popped a picture up. Now, again, it's quite a utopian view, and, and you know, he drinks a lot of coffee in coffee shops, and, and, and he does stuff like that that maybe isn't quite sort of realistic. But, but nonetheless, the principles he feeds into the book, I think we can all apply to our lives. See, I have a barometer in my life for hurry, and um, it's this. If someone stops to chat to me, and I have that knot in my stomach that says, please don't stop me now, I've got too much to do, then I'm too hurried. If I can't actually stop and talk to somebody who would like to talk to me, because I feel like I've got to move on to the next thing so quickly, it's just not right. And I'm not at peace. You know, I know my life's busy. I know your life is busy. But I don't want to be hurried. I find hurry stressful. I wasn't designed to be hurried. I'm too laid back for that. But maybe that's why I'm not hurried. See, being busy in of itself is not a bad thing. You know, we, we see the apostles were super busy planting churches and doing ministry. Jesus was busy. But I don't think Jesus was ever hurried. You know, the, the paradox for me, and I don't know whether this is true for you, so this is just, I'm sharing a little bit of me, an insight into my life, is I find the paradox that it's not about busyness. I, I get more stressed if I'm hurried. I can have less work, and if I do it in a hurried way, I become more stressed. Does that make sense? Does that resonate with anybody else? You know, oh, I need to get this all done so I can have a day off, or I can have an evening off, and I'm like kind of rushing around trying to, fit it all in to this much work into this much time and, and I just feel stressed out. So I'm not suggesting this is a life skill for everybody. Sometimes I have a longer day so my day is less hurried. And I find that for me super helpful. I'm not suggesting that's a biblical principle. I'm just saying that's trying to eliminate hurry. However you do it, try and eliminate hurry from your life. Try and eliminate racing from one thing to the other. Try and build in those moments of taking a breath, of resting, of having the capacity to stop should someone want to talk to you. You know, it, we have to be careful. You know, I don't do it very often, just work extra time just to kind of keep my life less hurried. Because the danger of doing something like that is that you work longer and you continue to rush around and be hurried, and then you burn out. 21% of the UK workforce in 2022 was burnt out because they ran harder, longer, faster. Jesus wants us to walk by quiet waters. The picture I have in my mind, I'm quite a pictorial, pictorial person, 
is I imagine almost walking literally side by side with Jesus. He is setting the pace. And it's not a run, it's not a sprint, it's a walk. And we're walking, we're here in the quiet flow of the water over the stones. And we stay centered. Now, it might be a long walk. We might be tired at the end of it. But he's never hurried us. We've always just been able to walk in pace with him. Do you see what I'm trying to say? He leads me by quiet waters. I don't think that is the absence of busy. I think it's just learning to pace ourselves with Jesus. You know, in the marathons or in the 10,000 meter races, they have a pacemaker. Because what you see in long distance races is sometimes people run so fast in the first 400, 800 meters that they collapse before they get to the end of it. A pacemaker sets the pace. And Jesus is our pacemaker in our life. Okay, I need to come into land. I'm kind of waffling on. Okay, Jesus is Lord of our life. He wants and must be our shepherd. And for him to be our shepherd, we must learn to surrender all segments of our life to him. We must learn to have a life of a milkshake, not of a grapefruit. We must learn to rest in the moment and in the Sabbath so that our reservoir of peace is always full. And we must learn to let Jesus set the pace of our life. Walk by quiet waters, still waters, even when life is busy. And here is the promise. Here is the promise. He refreshes my soul. He refreshes my soul. The human soul is central to the personhood of a human being. Um, I found this quote by a guy called George MacDonald. Um, can't say I know who he is, but I thought the quote was good. Um, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. So when the psalmist writes that the Lord refreshes our soul, he's basically saying that he refreshes the very core of who we are, the very essence of who we are, the very deepest places he refreshes. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. You know, if we can surrender every segment of our life to Jesus and make Jesus our good shepherd, if we can lie down in green pastures by stopping in the busyness and building in the Sabbath, if we can eliminate hurry from our life, and walk at Jesus' pace, he will refresh our souls. I want a refreshed soul. Do you? So shall we pray? I kind of hope that some of the stuff I've said has really resonated in your life with what, where you're at. I hope it's really challenged you. And maybe your first response is, you have no idea, David, my life, so you know, you're saying these things and you're just being ridiculous. I can't possibly take this on board. If that's you, we'd love to pray with you. <laughs> because 
it's essential that we apply these things to our lives so that we don't burn out and we don't spin out. So I'm just going to give you a minute just to reflect on your life and on the things that Psalm 23 has just shown us. Where are you at with your rest? Where are you at with your walking by still, quiet waters? Where are you at with taking moments to take that breath and center yourself in the green pastures? Where are you at about allowing Jesus to set the pace of your life? Where are you at? Take stock of where you're at. Do you have an empty reservoir or do you have a full reservoir of his peace in your life? Is your soul refreshed or is it running dry? Where are you at? Have a think. Ask the Lord to show you because our hearts are sometimes deceitful above all things. So come Holy Spirit. Just come and reveal the state of our souls.